Welcome to the IPv6 Buzz podcast, where we dare to dive into the 120-bit address space wormhole. Quick reminder, there's sponsorship opportunities available for IPv6 Buzz and all the other Packet Pusher podcast shows. So if you're interested, go to packetpushers.net slash sponsorship and you can get all the details. If you got something cool working with v6, we definitely want to hear about it. So reach out, let us know. Uh, I'm Ed Horley with my co-host Tom Coffey and Scott Hogan. Today, we're going to be picking back up with what we did in episode 123, which is sort of interviewing Scott about IPv6 security. <laughs> and for this episode, we want to talk specifically about firewalls because there's a lot of things in, uh, that just go into sort of the security landscape, but firewalls are definitely probably close to the top of the list, right, in terms of what you're dealing with. So we wanted to talk about that. Um, so welcome, Scott, to the show. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having me on. Anytime. Well, <laughs> so I, I guess we, sh we should start off with the fundamentals first, which is, um, I, I guess, getting down to the, how do you think about IPv6 security and firewalls? And is it any different for V4 versus V6 in terms of, you know, how you think about firewalls overall and, and you know, where that sort of fits in the landscape of of your design philosophies and, and, and architecture philosophies around security? Yeah, that's a question I think most people have when they start. Like, do I need to change my firewalls? Do I need to do anything different than what I've done in the past? And, you know, your firewall location isn't going to change with the introduction of IPv6. Like we said before, you're simply just layering on a new veneer of IPv6 addressing on top of your existing layer two topology, you know, on top of your VLANs, on top of your links, on and your internet perimeter or where you have those firewalls, whether they're in your data center or at the edges or at your internet perimeter, you know, they're going to be in the same place and they're not going to change. Now you have a different, you know, addressing scheme on them. You're using a different, you know, layer three protocol there and almost all, you know, commercial enterprise grade firewall products are V6 capable and they have the ability to do stateful packet inspection. They can do filtering on extension headers, fragmentation. They can deal properly with path MTU discovery. They can do granular filtering of ICMP V6. They can do static routing and, and most can do some dynamic routing. You know, many firewalls have these capabilities uh, that are similar to what you do or the same as what you do today with IPv4. Right. So you're matching up the same set of services and capabilities sort of across the board. Mm -hmm. So you don't shouldn't really expect too much different, right? I mean, outside of the mm -hmm. V6 sort of specific behaviors that the, hopefully the firewall is accounting for, right? For things yeah. like neighbor discovery and router advertisements and, and things of that nature, right? There's, there's some smaller differences in terms of what's going on. So, you know, you have a firewall today and We'll just talk initially about the the layer three firewall that's running in a NAT mode or routed mode where it has different layer three prefixes assigned to its different interfaces and it's routing and forwarding traffic across those interfaces per its routing table. Uh, and you have rules in it and the rules are built the same. And most firewalls today have an, a combined policy or an integrated policy where the policy can have v4 and v6 rules together you know years ago there were you know firewalls that worked kind of like ip tables and ip6 tables where you'd have a v4 policy and a v6 policy and they were separate they were administered separately uh now most you know firewalls it's an integrated policy where you have you know rules can be dual protocol rule or a rule could be a v4 only rule where you say any v4 address to go to this server 
you know, TCP port 80 and 443, you can have a V4 specific rule, you can have a V6 specific rule, or you could have a rule that is, you know, a dual protocol rule. Anybody on the internet can talk to my web server, which is an object that contains, or it's a group that contains two objects, the V4 address of the server, the V6 address of the web server, and then we allow TCP port 80 and 443. Right. (laughs) And that's one entry in a rule, uh, one rule. Um, and so they can do the same things, much the same things. Um, do you, now, in, just out of curiosity, when you're dealing with these rules, often, uh, you know, maybe in the past, firewall rules, you had a total limit of how many entries you could have per object or total entries for list sets. By combining these, do you get any advantage there or does it still in the backside probably break them out and, and have impact that way? I guess they're trying to sort of optimize around some of that, right, in terms of reducing how many total entries they might have to have to search through and do a pattern match on, right, which is really yeah. how ACLs work. So it's it'd be the same. It'd be the uh, same. You'd yeah. you'd have a lot of objects now. Some firewalls allow you to create a host object, and that host object can have either 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 a V4 and or V6 address, but maybe only one. Right. Okay. Sometimes you, if your server or a system, a service as a V4 address or multiples or a V6 address or multiples, now you're having to create a group and group different host objects with individual slash 128-bit addresses. (laughs) Right, which explodes the list. manage the size, but you'll have a lot of objects. Right. It'll increase the number of objects that you have and address entities. It turtles the whole way down. It's... Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, if you had a if you had a firewall policy with eight hundred rules, well, and eight hundred NAT rules, <laughs> you're going to have eight hundred and fifty rules, but no V six NAT rules. Okay. <laughs> That's right. I mean, I remember in the early days of uh, V six security devices that you know there was always the challenge of having certain uh, functions be pushed off to software. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, like if you could. If you could give the industry a grade as far as like sort of where where that's at today, do you do you still we still run into any security devices, firewalls included? You know, because obviously this impacts uh, devices that are doing intrusion detection and that sort of thing as well. Uh, if it's not bundled with the firewall, but that's something that I would hope has gotten better. That that there's you know more uh, fewer instances of of certain security features being handled by software and then therefore, you know, causing resource issues on whatever the device is. Um, Yeah. Most modern firewalls, you know, just like routers or network devices would be, you know, fast switched or, you know, be able to have hardware acceleration of V4 and V6 forwarding. So we don't have the performance Delta that we had some firewall products, you know, back in, 2005 or even a decade ago had issues where v4 and v6 performance wasn't equal you know but nowadays that they're equal just like network devices is that what you're referring to tom like in terms of speed or performance of just raw forwarding of v4 and v6 packets well i guess that for sure but then also the possibility that there are certain features and i think that's 
probably why I thought of intrusion mm. detection where, um, you know, if there was like, and, and maybe this is, is this like an, is this is something that would impact say extension header processing, mm. um, where everything else that goes through the device is being handled within hardware. And that's great. Everything's performing as we would expect it to, mm. you know, no issues. V4 is performing as well as V6. And then, uh, you know, there's a bunch of extension headers that have to be processed. And then the device like shunts some of that processing off to software because of the type. Um, and this is all very hypothetical, but mm. is that, you know, is that something that, uh, that we still see? Is that something that you're still likely to run into with production firewalls uh, if you've kept up with tech refresh, or is that something that's like just on, uh, totally on the rails now? Yeah. So I'd give most firewall vendors maybe a, C plus <laughs> grade, if you had to give them a grade <laughs> on, you know, feature parity, you know, everything they do V4, they do the exact same thing or have the same capabilities for V6. I would say most firewalls don't have feature or functional parity as right. that is written about. Um, they may not have a complete set of I IPS signatures, for example, or for V6, or they lack the ability to allow you to do certain kinds of blocking or maybe some of their DDoS or botnet filters don't work as well for V6 or it's not there or you don't have the ability to do an IPv6 shun where you have the ability to do that for V4 or you don't have um, or maybe some application filtering you know that the that the firewall is doing uh, it doesn't do for V6. So wow. there are deltas there. So And they're usually in some of those UTM, unified threat mitigation, right. advanced capabilities where you're likely to see the delta in, in functionality. But in just raw packet forwarding, stateful packet inspection, they're very equal and performance is equal. Okay. All right, that, that makes oh, oh Tom, you you and I have and Ed, we've talked about this issue. We know of a vendor, popular firewall vendor that we think is punting uh, the NAT64 function mm -hmm. to CPU and not doing it in hardware like it does NAT44. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and and I guess that that becomes the next thing is like is every single feature on a firewall is that necessary because you're using it or is it necessary because you want it as a feature or is it necessary because, um, you know, you think the industry requires it? There's a bunch of different rating scales mm -hmm. of like, you know, I guess if a must should could, right. Mm -hmm. In terms of capabilities yeah. for, for what you want to see in the platform. So everyone's going to have a different experience about what they consider super important, depending, mm -hmm. depending on how they're securing their, their environment and what's fundamentally different about securing V6 versus V4 may have to do with whether that firewall can functionally support that that feature mm -hmm. <laughs> that you may be using right so yeah. that that could come into a big play and and i guess this leads into the next question which is is for many folks that are looking at like well we need we need to implement the same thing we're doing in v4 and v6 is that the right strategy like should we be bulk copying our security rules over from v4 into v6 is like it does that make sense i guess maybe yeah. i don't know <laughs> What does yeah. make sense? Or you got yeah, this greenfield just... greenfield opportunity, yeah. right? Yeah, you'll start with a, a fresh slate with V6. You'll start adding, you know, net new V6 rules and you'll add them as needed. You know, first rule will be anybody on the internet can talk to my DNS server over TCP and UDP port 53. And that'll be like your first rule, right? Get V6 established, V6 connectivity and permit 
you know, your authoritative DNS server to be queried. Um, the next rule would be like web, you know, set up a test web server, you know, anybody on the internet can talk to that web server's V6 address over TCP 80 and 443, right. you know, eventually as you add enough V6 rules, your V6 policy will turn into Swiss cheese, just like your V4 <laughs> policy, but maybe not initially. Right. Um, yeah. And and then maybe the, the other question is, should you be writing, depending on the firewall vendor, should you be writing a set of grouped rules that is like, these are my V6 rules and these are my V4 rules and they shouldn't, they should not commingle or, and, and that would assume that I get, I guess, you know, you don't necessarily have to run a firewall as dual stack. I guess you could technically run a separate V6 only firewall, even on the same interface and just right. Have it participate and V6 goes through one virtual instance of a firewall and V4 goes through the other virtual instance of a firewall and still forwards through and maybe, or, or you could do these layer two rules too, I guess, but yeah. you know, what's the thought process there? Is there a better way one way or the other to do that? Or do you, do you have strong feelings one way or the other about that? Yeah, that's a great point because your V4 default route today goes out through your current V4 firewall. Your V6 default route could go out a different path. You don't have to have your V4 and V6 default routing topology be congruent. They can go out, you know, your V4 traffic can exit one path, your V6 traffic could exit a different path. And Back in the early 2000s, that's what we had to do. You know, organizations didn't want to uh, introduce any uh, risk to their current V4 firewall, so they would stand up a V6-specific firewall uh, to be V6 only and only have V6 objects and rules and, and policies and routes. And the V6 default route would go through that V6-specific firewall or or the current firewall that the that the enterprise had didn't have v6 features so they had to buy a net new one <laughs> and they but they also didn't need but back then you had a small amount of v6 traffic right. and a large amount of v4 traffic so you could get away with a smaller piece of hardware maybe nowadays with equal parts v4 and v6 on the internet you wouldn't want to downsize your v6 firewall you'd want it to be as robust as your v4 firewall today um, and like I often say, for every, you know, web page that gets loaded over V6, it was one less web page that loaded over IPv4. Right. Now we know Happy Eyeballs is going to make two connections, but but the if the Happy payload. Eyeballs is satisfied and the connection takes place over V6, the V4 connection would be reset, the V6 connection would stay up and the transport would be using V6. So then that's one less flow you had going through the firewall over V4. And so it nets out to be the same amount of traffic as what you have today, roughly. Um, now you could have the, the firewall be separate. Like you had two different virtual firewalls mm -hmm. running on the same physical hardware. They're virtual instances of firewalling running on a, a firewall hardware. And uh, you could have separate, um, like in Fortinet, they're called VDOMs or it's a, Vsys or something, Vsys. depending on yeah. your version, uh, your product you have, you know, you have the ability to do that. And you could, you could totally have a separate policy uh, or separate instantiation of memory, compute, everything, a separate VM, if you will, of a, of a firewall running V6 from V4, but it, it doubles your administrative burden. Then you have to administer them both separately. Mm -hmm. I think today 
it's better to have them integrated, run the same, administer one combined policy with V4 and V6 objects and use grouping and try to minimize, you know, the number of rules <laughs> increasing. Right. And the, the amount of sprawl and devices, because mm -hmm. that yeah. virtual firewall or physical firewall, right, is a fully separate device, which mm -hmm. means you have to make it highly available in mm -hmm. the same way that you make <laughs> for the V4 side, right? Yeah. So this is the big mistake I, I think we have in conversations too. They're like, oh, we just have to set up this one instance. I'm like, no, you have to make that highly available too, because yeah. people are going to prefer that V6 path for that firewall. So that if that V6 firewall goes down, yes, your V4 traffic will still go through, but you're making yeah. a great assumption that people can fail over from V6 to V4. That may not be the case anymore, right? Yeah, you're making V6 a, a production service. You should mm -hmm. treat it as such. It's not yes. like a lesser <laughs> a lesser category or a lesser uh, class of service <laughs> with less <laughs> high availability than V4. It should be treated as a production service. Yeah, and, and to that to that point, I think I'm always a little curious as to where sort of the vendors are at in terms of reflecting like best practices and documentation. I mean, I I, I know that's a, a hope springs eternal sort of thing to to think of, um, but you know we notice a lot of like say with with um, just network vendors in general, not 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 to mention the security vendors and firewall vendors that you know, documentation is always kind of problematic in terms of how they're representing the network and what addresses they're using and that sort of thing. Yeah. But, you know, we're talking a lot about, uh, about, you know, different ways that you're going to configure your security devices, your firewalls. And do, do you feel like we're, we're getting good general guidance from the vendors in terms of, you know, in the documentation and in the configuration guides and that sort of thing? do they really do they really get like sort of how v6 changes things and doesn't change things and and sort of what that should result in in terms of firewall policy and, and rule sets and and configuration or are they really still sort of playing you know catch up and and you really can't rely too much on their their guidance with within the documentation setting aside you know the fact that the documentation as i just mentioned ends up using addresses that we don't normally see or you know <laughs> don't want to see at all yeah uh, so yeah that's another i guess another way to sort of grade the the security and firewall vendors what what what's your thoughts on that scott yeah i'd say c minus <laughs> if i had to give them a grade yeah i mean <laughs> they might have a, C, a a cli guide a config guide it has lots of v4 examples and then the v6 may just be a syntax like oh you could put in an address and they don't even tell you how to put in a v6 address or it lacks that an example or it shows you you know 192 168 in their example but doesn't show you a, a v6 example you know, 2001 DB8 even. Um, and I laugh because a few years ago, we know we were engaged with a customer and the SE at the vendor <laughs> created sample configurations using FE90 uh, <laughs> colon colon. And that's very creative. Meant you could ping the interface that you just blew my mind that FE90 worked <laughs> on their product. Uh, and so, yeah, that's, that's bad advice. Uh, so it's getting better, but you'll still see, you know, uh, examples out there with 
2000 it's, it's technically colon, colon, in the 3000 colon colon 4000 colon colon examples. <laughs> 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 Those aren't addresses. Uh, yeah, the the FE90, come on, that's still technically within the FE80 colon colon slash 10. So <laughs> <laughs> oh, I guess I guess it would be. Yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> it was crazy. Uh, it was it was amazing. Uh, taking yeah, the RFC too literally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> God. Was that was it insane or was it inspired? You be the judge. Maybe <laughs> FEA zero. <laughs> oh man, all sorts now of possibilities. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'd we, say there's a lot of work that still needs to be done on examples, and that's true of even router vendors giving yes. good examples or any other product. Yeah, there's there, we are woefully behind in terms of having uh, good examples that are side by side comparisons. Like there's. There's this whole thing of um, uh, complex topologies that are available in IPv4 design, but mm -hmm. in IPv6, you get like a single site design, right? It doesn't mm -hmm. explain like an end-to-end -end sort of support for transport or like, you know, multiple networks routing through like in the yeah. same robust way. I've definitely noticed that. So, yeah. you know, how do you, how do you write a good firewall policy when you don't have a one-for-one -one example to show you what you need to do, right? Yeah. Or you'll see FC 00000. <laughs> slash 64 and you're like mm, that's not how that works uh, uh, and you, you know besides ula being a bad choice you use the reserved section and you didn't yeah. create the random number and right. yeah. let me go on all the things that are wrong with this example and you don't yeah. do nptv6 as a product so i don't know why you're showing that address space Right. Or, or or even the vendor that will go unnamed that in, includes the helpful IPv6 primer where the otherwise the you know the very useful configuration guide would go or what features are actually supported but instead you get the hey here's this new thing called IPv6 and let me give you the uh, you know the 101 version of it over the next several pages and it's mm -hmm. just like oh several my pages goodness. next 53 pages <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let me explain please. to you. Yeah, please just remove that and put that off in a different doc and point people to the doc. So yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I, I I guess maybe this gets to the the next point, which is like you know clearly the vendors don't have an overall strategy around some of this stuff, but you've been working in the in the space for a long mm -hmm. a, a long time around security specifically. Is do you have an overall strategy or advice around sort of you know how to think about Firewalls. I know you mentioned before that you know you wouldn't necessarily change their location within your network topology. Are there other overall strategies about how you think about approaching this stuff when you're when you're thinking through the problem space of like how do I secure a network and and you know what what does that look like and and what's that journey like for someone who's a fire, existing v4 firewall administrator today? What is it? What, what's their experience going to be like and is it going to be any different? Yeah, you want to make it as similar as what you do today. I think we always talk about that on this on the show where we want you to have the same operational model for V4 and V6. Don't go and do something crazy. But if the product is making you do something very different than what you're used to, you know, that'll introduce complexity or add administrative burden, or you'll have to be like, oh yeah, for V6, I got to do this other little thing. Or I'm limited in the feature. So now I have to use a compensating control in another product. I put my V6 application defenses in another product where for IPv4, it just runs on box as a standard you know, service. So you're having to do something different for V6. Always strive not 
to do that and try to have the same methods used. And if you're having to do something different for V6, you know, that's an indication you're you're trying to do something wrong or, or you don't have the capabilities you need um, or your design is flawed in some way, maybe try and get them to be as similar as possible. Yeah. And, and even from your policy basis, when you're writing policies or compensation mm-hmm. controls and things like that, you've always given fantastic advice around like, just change it to IP. You don't, it's IPv4, IPv6, unless it's something specific to the mm-hmm. protocol, you should just be talking about how you should secure your network and it shouldn't be mm-hmm. protocol specific. So getting mm-hmm. customers to change how they think about that because you know when ipv version 7 and 8 come along you don't have to rewrite that stuff yet again right mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah so 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 i think that strategy if you keep that in mind and you try and align those it'll also help you determine how mature maybe your firewall vendor actually is mm-hmm. right yeah. yeah it might be time to switch things up if it's really that far behind and it's causing you that many operational difficulties in terms of keeping things consistent I would think. Yeah. If you're missing a feature or or you've met with your vendor and you realize you're missing a feature, you go to configure it and it's not, the command doesn't work. There's not an V6 equivalent command for, or configuration in the GUI or, you know, an API. Um, you know, you reach out to your vendor and you're like, well, what do I do here? And so you really have a choice. You know, you could just stop the v6 deployment because you wouldn't want to move forward with v6 deployment if you didn't if you couldn't secure it as equally as you do for v4 as much as we're advocates of v6 we wouldn't want anyone to deploy it if it was weaker because attackers will definitely know and exploit the delta and attack the weaker of the two protocols so you wouldn't want to just move ahead and and accept the risk you would want to pause check say hey well is this on the vendor's roadmap? When will it get fixed? When could I get that feature? If it's not going to be for a while and I do want to move ahead with V6, then could I create a compensating control? Oh, I get an open source piece of software. I add this other little widget in the traffic path that can do that function in another way for V6 traffic and and I'm covered. Or, well, if the vendor's not going to have it for a while and this really does stall my V6 deployment, Maybe I look at options, maybe another vendor. It costs so much in terms of operational costs to switch vendors. That's yeah. really- It's a very a high resort. lift. Yeah, because even if the products are similar price, the OPEX cost to switch is very high. Yes. Particularly something like a firewall, extremely high. So you'd like to avoid that if at all possible. Yeah, and the risk the risk associated with making a clean cut and mm-hmm. having everything work is also very, very high too, right? In terms of- guaranteeing that you can actually, you know, pull that off mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. is usually not trivial. One thing we talk mostly about layer three, NAT, routed mode firewalls at mm-hmm. layer two, if you're firewalling at layer two, as many firewalls do, or as some do, you know, they, the firewall is operating at layer two. So with IPv4, you know, the external interface and the internal interface are on the same IPv4 subnet. With IPv6, it's going to be, it's going to, function the same way where the external interface and the internal interface are going to be on the same slash 64 prefix. And so what the layer two firewall has the ability to forward ARP, ARP broadcasts, ARP requests, ARP replies, things like that, multicasts for V4, and it has a, a state engine for multicast, land-based multicast. Your firewall will have the same 
uh, functionality for V6, but it'll do this process called NDP proxying. So it will proxy the neighbor discovery. It will forward those RAs, RSs, NSs, NAs. It'll forward that I, those ICMP V6 messages that are land-based across those interfaces. And it will look at the sanity of those and handle those in a secure way. And so firewalls today use NDP proxy. And that's that's the method that a firewall will use um, and there's an RFC for that. Um, gosh, I forget the RFC for <laughs> ND proxy, but that's the method that, oh, 4389. <laughs> um, and so that's the RFC that defines how a layer two uh, firewall, a transpo- transparent mode, you know, layer two type firewall would operate with V6. Um, but it, the fire, most commercial enterprise grade firewalls do support NDP proxy. Okay. And and maybe we'll back it up really quickly and I'll ask you one fast thing on the technical basis because mm-hmm. this this comes up quite a bit in conversation is is about router advertisements. What do firewalls do with router advertisements and uh, and behavior? Because I think this is probably like one of the first things that everyone scratches their head about and they're trying to figure out like should it participate, not participate, should it advertise, like all those sorts of things. Yeah, most Commercial enterprise grade firewalls do have the ability to generate RAs, but unlike a router where on a router, as soon as you put an IPv6 address and a slash 64 prefix on an interface, it starts generating the de facto RA, which says do slack. Uh, and the A flag is set to one and the other flags are are turned off. Well, the L flag would be set to one. By, by default, most firewalls don't generate RAs unless you explicitly go into the interface and say, I want to generate an RA. But almost all vendors do have the ability to create an RA on a firewall interface. It just may not be selected or you have to activate it or tell it to do so and then configure it appropriately uh, per the flags. Uh, And then it'll generate an RA. Many firewalls or some firewalls now turn off duplicate address detection on their interfaces as well. Routers, hosts have dad enabled by default. And why would you turn it off? Well, firewalls being suspicious type people, <laughs> suspicious type things. Trust no one. They, yeah, <laughs> trust no one. They turn off dad by default. So you could decide if you wanted to turn it on or not. And it does have the ability to turn on dad. Right. But and it might be off by default. This is to prevent people from claiming that they're the default yes. gateway and and redirecting mm-hmm. traffic dynamically in a network right because they say like yeah. oh well i already own that address right and you can't yeah. use it so the firewall is like oh i have to shut my interface off and then everyone's redirecting their traffic over to that device for, for yeah. as an example like an yeah a man in the middle type attack where the attacker is saying sending a bunch of neighbor advertisements like no 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 no, no. i am the new mac address for colon colon one <laughs> Trust me, I'm your path to the internet. Send your packets to me. I'd love to get your passwords too <laughs> while, while I uh, get in the middle there. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that's to prevent that, you know, because firewalls have static addresses, so they shouldn't have a duplicate. But the de- the potential of turning off dad is then there could be a collision of addresses. Right. There isn't that mechanism to prevent a collision. The other thing is when the when you have the firewall sending an RA, if it's generating an RA with the M flag equal to one, then you want to make sure that that firewall is able to do 
DHCPv6 relaying. Oh, good point. Uh, and some firewalls, some firewalls don't do DHCPv6 services like they do DHCP services. Some do, uh, many do, but some may not. Also, make sure that your vendor can do the relaying if right. you're setting up as you know, like the old IP helper that you're used to with IPv4, the router is being a, a DHCP relay. You want the the firewall to have that same DHCPv6 relay capability before you generate that RA with the M flag equal to one. Yeah, fantastic advice. Good stuff. There you go. I think that covers it. Yeah, I think that's all. That's everything. <laughs> that's everything you need to know. <laughs> There's so much more that we could dig into, but I think this is a good primer for everyone mm -hmm. in terms of understanding, or at least uh, starting off with V6 on, on the firewall side. Well, unlike V6, we've run out of space for this podcast, but you can reach out to the IPv6 Buzz podcast on Twitter at IPv6 Buzz. And you can also hit up each one of us on Twitter. Um, Tom is at IPv6 Tom. Scott is at Scott Hogue, and I'm at E Horley. And uh, I'd just like to say, Scott, thank you so much for being a guest on our show. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for having me. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the IPv6 Buzz. You can find us on the Packet Pushers or, you know, any of your favorite podcast apps. Just search for IPv6 Buzz. And if you like this show, you know, give us a rating on iTunes and Spotify and everything else. And if you like this podcast, we recommend you check out Heavy Networking, Day 2 Cloud, and the Network Break Podcast, plus all the other great technical content over at PacketPushers.net. So long and until next time, we'll see you on the internet. The IPv6 internet, that is. Thanks for listening to IPv6 Buzz, a podcast devoted to truth, justice, and 128 bits of address space. IPv6.